This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And you are listening to episode 50. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rkraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you'd like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Alain Goren, co-founder and host of the Crowd Invest Summit. Recently, three Reggae Plus deals were funded and are now trading on exchanges, and I wanted to hear Alain's take on this news. I met Alon when he spoke at one of our events a couple years ago on a crowdfunding panel, and we've kept in touch. A little background on Alon, he is a fintech entrepreneur who has dedicated his time and efforts to facilitating and educating the next generation of fundraising and investing. And one platform he does this through is his upcoming conference, Crowd Invest Summit. The goal for this episode is to learn more about equity crowdfunding, how it is different than donation-based crowdfunding, how it relates to microcap investing, and Alan's thoughts on recent news in equity crowdfunding. I'd also like to invite you all to Alan's event, the Crowd Invest Summit, taking place September 6th and 7th at the Los Angeles Convention Center in downtown Los Angeles. When you register for the conference, use the discount code SNN and receive 25% off your ticket for admission. We'll be there as a media sponsor and looking forward to a great event. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 50 of the Planet Microcap podcast. Please enjoy my interview with Alain Goren. But first, a word from our sponsor. A comprehensive streaming of market data, research, and portfolio management application for you. QuoteStream is a real-time streaming quotes and research system designed for the day trader, retail investor, institutional investor, both new and old. QuoteStream offers low latency, tick-by-tick data, advanced charting, comprehensive technical analysis, news, and research. With no software to install and no servers to maintain, QuoteStream is the ideal solution for you. Go to stocknewsnow.com and start your free seven-day trial. Click the QuoteStream banner in the header or real-time quotes in the nav bar to get started building and managing your investments. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I have Alain Goren on the program. He is the co-founder and host of Crowd Invest Summit, which is coming up September 6th and 7th at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Alain, welcome to the Planet Microcap podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on. So to start off, as we do with every episode of the podcast, what is your background? So uh, my background is, is mostly technology. So growing up, uh, my first job in technology actually got into the finance world because I was in the systems architecture group at Countrywide. Um, but really quickly, I got a job out of there at MySpace. 
So we're there for a while, and that's when I got into the social side of, of all of this stuff. Because um, my thought was, uh, you know, my, my thought was, uh, really, if you can use social to, to sell things on the internet, the famous thing that happened when I was at MySpace was that Farmville one year when I was there sold more fake tractors on the internet um, then John Deere sold real tractors in real life. So, um, so we, we, we looked at that and we, we kind of said, you know, how, how can we use that to, to also raise money on the internet? And that's when, when sort of the, the idea sparked. But I actually left MySpace and got a job at IMDB, which is the Internet Movie Database. And um, a lot of people don't know, but they're owned by Amazon. So I got to uh, work at Amazon and be a part of that whole thing, which was really, really exciting. Um, but after a few years, I had quit Amazon and I started um, a company called Invested In, which powered the technology behind crowdfunding sites. Yeah. So, yeah. So I take it this is yeah. how you then broke into the crowdfunding space, correct? Yes. Yeah, so we, we actually called it at the time uh, social fundraising because the word crowdfunding didn't even exist. Mm -hmm. So this was, um, we were doing it for a few years um, and in 2010, at the very beginning of 2010, we launched uh, Invested In publicly. Um, but when we started raising money for it as a business, we actually became a technology provider versus having our own platform. Mm -hmm. um, Mostly for two reasons. The first reason was what we really wanted to do, which was help startups and small companies raise money online, was illegal. Um, and we didn't even know it at the time because we were just sort of these idealistic young techies. Um, and so that was sort of out the window to do it the way we wanted to. And um, Kickstarter and Indiegogo had just launched. They were doing it. It wasn't exactly the way we wanted to do it. So we just decided, well, if... Kickstarter and Indiegogo are creating this sort of new industry and the word crowdfunding now exists and all these people are coming to us. Um, let's think about it like Amazon from, from the retail perspective. Amazon started with books, then they went everywhere. And then what ended up happening was that you couldn't be a retailer at all unless you had your own website and were selling your own product online. So we took it a step further and we said today we might be launching um, one of our first clients who's really funny was a site called JCrowd. It was the first Jewish crowdfunding site. It was, really, it was, it was fun. A uh, really cool guy named Moshe in Israel actually contacted us and we're like, so today we're launching these niche crowdfunding sites. Tomorrow, everyone will be doing it on their own. So let's be the technology provider for that. And so we raised money on that business. It was called Invested In. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was the unmet need that you saw? You know, what was the, the impetus you know, yeah. behind starting Invested In? The main idea was just that people were fundraising and they weren't using technology the way they could. Um, By the way, when was yeah. this? When, when did you launch it? Uh, we launched um, the official like first launch of like a big public kind of thing was in the beginning of 2010. I think it was March. There was a conference called Demo that they do every year back then. Um, it was, it's a very like techie nerd kind of thing, like TechCrunch was a part of it back in the day. Then they started doing their own conference. But yeah, it was, it was 2010. So this was before the Jobs Act and everything. Oh yeah, no, people a year or two, like about a year later, were starting to talk about how you know we're lobbying to do this thing. And my whole thing always was I didn't believe it was even going to happen. So even when they said it was happening, I didn't believe it was going to happen. And then you know a year later, I was saying, I told you so. And then you know finally, when it did get signed into law, I had to put my tail between my legs and say, hey, you guys got it. Uh, it's still not perfect. Uh, I wish it was a lot different um, in many, many ways. But it's really exciting that it's happening. 
So just to finish up on yeah. the unmet need that you saw, you know, what, what was more of that impact? So it, it was, it was for me, uh, I come from the, from the startup world, right? So like we're at MySpace and, and we're at IMDB, but the company I was a part of at IMDB was also just acquired by them. So it was, I'm, I'm from that world and, and I was always starting little companies on the side from, from junior high age. And so, you know, I really saw the technology side and I could see that nobody was doing it the way they could online. Like we're at MySpace and like I said, the thing about the Farmville tractors, um, there's, you could use social back then uh, to, to help you share a fundraising campaign for a nonprofit. But the only piece of software you had at back then was a PayPal widget you could put on your website. So it was like, okay, you could check out, you could put your credit card online and, and give somebody a $10 donation. But you couldn't see that uh, your friend Robert uh, in also contributed to that campaign. Uh, you couldn't see uh, that your other friend still did it. And you know the whole, all the whole sort of industry and this type of technology can be distilled down to one thing. And it's sort of like when you see an when you see a bunch of people slowing down to see an accident on the side of the road. And, and my favorite thing to say, and I didn't invent it, is that nothing attracts a crowd more than a crowd. And the easiest way to close a deal online is to show people that other people are in on that deal. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, that guy you think is smart, he already invested. Or that person you've heard about, they have already invested. Or there's a thousand other shareholders here. There's a mm -hmm. thousand other investors. So, so it, it went quickly from like, you know, because we weren't allowed to do it online, we went quickly to donation side of things. We helped people raise more money online. We did campaigns for uh, the UN Girl Up Foundation. We launched uh, platforms for Coca-Cola for their corporate social responsibility stuff. We did stuff for American Express and for ATB Financial and a bunch of banks, but it was still all donation stuff. Um, and so finally, when it was coming into the investment side of things, it started to get interesting for us. So you guys were providing the software for platforms, correct? Yes. Yeah. For crowdfunding platforms. Exactly. We were customizing it for them because everyone has different needs. There's different mm -hmm. rules and regulations. One person's doing lending, one person's doing this. Mm -hmm. So we would customize it for them. We would reskin it to look and feel like their brand. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we would charge a monthly fee for the hosting and the maintenance and that kind of stuff. And yeah, so we were just a custom white label platform for, for crowdfunding or for any kind of fundraising, really. Yeah. So now to kind of get into some some technical terms and I've had a couple yeah. guests on. I've had Cromwell and, and David Weald on the on the podcast talking about uh, crowdfunding and equity crowdfunding. But, you know, the reason I wanted to have you on was because you kind of you were really in the trenches. You know, you provided the software you've you know, you're now hosting a conference that we'll talk about a little bit uh, later in this interview. You know, so to take a step back, to take a couple steps forward, let's start off yeah. first with, you know, what, what is equity crowdfunding and how does it differ from other types of crowdfunding? Sure. So um, equity crowdfunding is crowdfunding when you're selling securities, you're selling. Yeah, I mean, I can say that to your audience because they understand. But like when I'm talking to most people, they're like, you mean Kickstarter? You, you know, and then you're like, no, because Kickstarter, you're selling a product or a service. It's no different than than Amazon, it's retail. Um, it, but, but when you're talking about equity crowdfunding, you're talking about selling debt or selling stock in a company. So you, when you invest on a site that does equity crowdfunding like AngelList or Republic or WeFunder or Start Engine, you're actually getting a piece, you're getting stock in a private company. Uh, well, now it's sort of, depending on the rules, it could be a private company, it could be a company that's somewhere in between being you know, a full-fledged public company or, uh, or a private company. 
so so I so that's how it differs yeah. from like the the Kickstarters and the yeah. Indiegogos of the world. Literally, you like you can either give money and get a t-shirt <laughs> or you can get stock or, or, or debt, right? So to speak. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're get, you're getting a, a, you're getting a piece of a company. So, so yeah, there's no donations going on here. There's no, uh, there well, that are, depends on the company, right? There might be a donation. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in hindsight, you might be donating. Uh, right. but, uh, the, the promise and the hope is that, you know, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, you're getting an exit. Um, and then some of these companies, and I know we're going to talk about it, um, are listing uh, immediately. So, you know, um, it was really exciting when, when you know, um, uh, uh, well now I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on their name, um, Elio Motors, when they, uh, when they listed immediately to OTC markets after their raise on Start Engine. Um, and there's been a few more of those uh, we'll talk about in a little bit. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool because there's even these Reg CF companies, which is regulation crowdfunding, they're, they're, re they're raising relatively little money because there's a cap at a million bucks that that's being, you know, people are trying to change that. But um, they still, after I think a, a two-year holding period, I might be wrong, might be one-year holding period, uh, people are going to start exchanging those um, on, on various platforms. So there's a few exchanges being launched um, just for those kind of companies, which is really cool. You hit on something I actually wanted to ask you because, yeah. you know, there's a couple different types of equity crowdfunding. You know, for those who don't know, you know, you mentioned yeah. uh, uh, Reg CF. Yeah. You know, there's Reg A+, there's Reg CF, there's 506C. Yeah. You know, can you explain what yeah. each one is and some of their differences? Yeah, so the, the 506C part is like the old-fashioned way with the added benefit of public solicitation. So public solicitation means what I was talking about before. You could post it on Facebook if you want to. Uh, we were talking about this before we got on the air. You know, people are doing commercials now, like on TV, literally straight up invest in my company on this platform um, or contact us to learn about this investment opportunity. You could take an ad in the Wall Street Journal, you take a full page and say, invest in my company, which is a little bit insane, but kind of awesome uh, in the fact that like, why not? Why can't you just talk about it publicly? Um, so uh, I know people will, will send me messages with a bunch of reasons why not, but uh, but you know uh, but th there's that that old-fashioned way you do it the same. The the major difference from a, a standpoint of what you have to do with your homework is now self-accrediting yourself as an accredited investor um, is no longer uh, sufficient enough. So like for example, if I'm raising money for my startup like I did many years ago, I'm raising you know a million dollars at this valuation, whatever. When uh, when Robert says that he's in, he signs the doc, and he, one of the one of the you know uh, headings in the doc will say that I'm an accredited investor. Um, I understand the risks, and I make this much money, or I have this much in the bank, and I'm willing to take the risk. And that's sort of just like one of the one of the sections. And now, if you raise money online publicly under the same regulation. Um, I'm the one that's liable. The actively fundraising company is the one that's liable if you lie to me about that. So you can then sue me. So there's all these services like Verify Investor um, and others that will do that work for you because if a lawyer or an accountant checks the box for you and does sort of signs off on it, you take away some of that liability from yourself. So there's services that take care of that, but that's the main, the main thing there. Then there's um, Reg CF, which is the regulation crowdfunding I talked about before. There's limits where... Uh, 
a certain percentage of your income is allowed to be invested in each particular deal or in aggregate over a year period of time. And each company in a, in a 12 month period of time has, uh, has, can raise up to a million dollars. It's actually like a million dollars and, and change because they adjusted it for inflation. So it's like a million and 24,000. Don't, don't hold me to the specific number. It's, it's a little silly and everyone is really excited about it, but I'll, I'll be really excited when they raise it to like, you know three or five million, which is what people are talking about now. Um, and then there's uh, Reg A+, which is really the light version of going public, right? So. Um, it's, it's a more streamlined and cheaper way to go public. And some of these platforms have done all the legal work for these smaller companies and have done it and have distilled it down to where you're spending you know, 50 grand to go public pretty much versus what you would have to pay before, which is a lot more expensive. Um, so that's really exciting. You could take money from non-accredited investors. You could do the public solicitation stuff um, uh, and there's different tiers of it, but in general, you can raise money from anywhere. Um, and and so um, and by the way, I'll I'll, I'll put a, post a little disclaimer here that if you ask you know five different lawyers, you get ten different answers as to what's okay. But in general, the, these are the high level stuff. Um, you you can Google it and, and learn all the details. Most law firms, um, including you know some of the sponsors of the of the summit, um, all have sort of these these matrices with or matrices, whatever you would call it. <laughs> yeah, uh, with, with all of the uh, details where it's like how much you can raise, what are the disclosures, what are the this, what are the this, um, and, and uh, you can learn all about the really nitty gritty stuff. But in general, um, that's, that's, that's the, three main, the three main really high level uh, versions of crowdfunding now. So it all sounds great. You know, yeah. I mean, it sounds like, uh, wow, okay, this is something pretty cool that, you know, maybe more companies might start doing. But, you know, with every great new idea, there's also pitfalls. You know, what are some of the pitfalls with equity crowdfunding? I mean, you don't have to go, yeah. clap, you know, yeah, yeah. each one by each one. But, you know, like, what, what are some of the, the, the I guess they would say, uh, the, uh, what's the, some of the downside risk? Yeah, so... The downside risk is is mostly it's it's the same as any kind of fundraising round, uh, but there's this added risk of so much publicity, right? And when you raise on a platform, it will probably live there forever. So you want to put something out there that you're okay with living in in the in on the internet's forever. Um, but uh, the the uh, the real thing that I think most people uh, the biggest hurdle in my opinion, is actually just a mental one and a, a sort of preparedness one. Whereas that you see these deals happen and it looks as if they happened in 30 or 60 days and it was fairly easy to raise this money. And people come in with experience, um, with the right team, and they come in and go, okay, I can show up uh, in one day or in one week or in one month even and put together a campaign. I'll create a video, I'll put up the financial, I'll put all the stuff that we have to put together anyway for investors, I'm gonna put it online. And why wouldn't they wanna invest in my oil company or in my uh, service company or in my, uh, in, in whatever company that I'm launching, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the problem is really that it's not easy at all. And it's just like any other fundraising round where you've gotta prepare, you've gotta get your crap together, you've gotta do it right, and you've, uh, you've, you've gotta, and, and even more, uh, more so than some things, because when you are in a certain world, you can take a meeting and close an investor. But that's not how it happens online. You really got to build trust and you've got to 
be there and you have to build the audience ahead of time before you do it. So really the biggest hurdle I see is, is people's unpreparedness and then trying to fix that sort of mid-raise and, and it never works out that well. Uh, what people really need to know is that it takes months and months usually to build that big audience and then you execute on that mm -hmm. in the 30, 60, 90 days that you have a live campaign. So how are some of these companies, actually before I ask that question, um, because I know a lot of my audience, you know, when we go and look at a potential new investment, you know, let's using public companies and microcaps, you know, we go in and we'd like to see, you know, uh, previous financials and transcripts, you know, but at the very least financials, just yeah. to see, you know, is this company making money or at least are they about to be profit or they break something, you know, yeah. in, in with equity crowdfunding in order for them to go out there and solicit, uh, do they have to publish these financials or how, how does that work? With, with Reg A Plus, you absolutely have to have audited financials and different tiers have different sort of tiers of audited financials. But yeah, you have to. And you're basically signing off that for the life of your company, you're going to be doing this. Um, so so that's, that's an important thing to know. Um, on the smaller side... Um, you know, these are brand new companies. Sure. So even brand new companies' financials are pretty much blank. Um, so, so one, it's it's cheap to do, um, but but you want to see, yeah. <laughs> but you want to see that they exist. Usually, an investor at that stage wants to see financials because mm -hmm. they just want to know that the person running the company understands the financial metrics sure. involved in the company. They know it's totally made up, um, <laughs> but they want to at least know that you know that company knows how to do it and understands you know the you know that marketing costs money and that this costs money. What's your customer acquisition cost? And all these things that investors might ask, um, uh, they wanna know that they've thought about it and they've thought it through and that they at least have some baseline to, to move forward from. Um, but really, you know, the Reg CF companies are really early stage. Mm -hmm. When you are at the Reg A plus side, I think that it would be really hard for somebody to do a Reg A plus raise from scratch. Mm -hmm. I think it, and I think it's, it's not the right avenue. I think you're much better off doing it other ways. But for existing companies that do have financials, that do have revenue, that also might fit the mold um, for being a good candidate for crowdfunding, then Reg A Plus can make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, because you can raise a lot more money, um, you can instantly list to you know, NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange, OTC markets, um, and, and you could really build a, a, a real you know, public company that way. So this this at least with reggae plus focusing specifically on that you know this is something that both public and private companies can do correct and if and if so you know how how do they use it you know like what what's what's kind of the process so so it is something that public companies and private companies can do public companies are already public so they already have all the audited financials. It's, it's fairly easy for them. And I don't know if there's any really great examples of them using it because they already have other avenues to raise money publicly. But um, uh, private companies, absolutely. And the process really is you know, doing the legal work, getting all the audited financials, and, and everything that would normally take to take a company public, but hopefully a lighter version. And mm -hmm. if they're uh, not as old of a company or established as a company, it makes it easier because, you know, 
putting together financials on on a company that's newer is easier. Um, but but yeah, they would they would do it that way. And what they would do is they'd find a, a platform in general that has uh, done this already, and they would help them. Um, with Reg CF, uh, you have to be on a registered platform. I think for uh, Reg A Plus, you could potentially just do it on your own website. Um, but that said, you don't have the experience, you don't have the product already built, and the product makes a difference. You could go on one Reg A Plus website and it'll be terrible, and this is an internet product, right? And I, I we go back to the my Amazon days, I knew because they did research on it, that every millisecond it takes longer for a page to load on Amazon, they get a, a lower conversion rate, which means it, it takes a millisecond longer to load, they make less money. If they have a bad conversion rate on their website, then they make less money. And it's the same thing with crowdfunding platforms. So you have to vet. I mean, um, one of the companies that, uh, that I uh, spoke to recently used one platform for half of their raise, they were really unhappy with it. Their investors were complaining that they were trying to invest and it wasn't working well. And they switched to a different platform mid-raise and their, their raise got significantly better. Mm -hmm. And it was one because of those, those investors were able to invest, but also if you make it easier on people, it's easier. And, and we're talking about raising money on the internet with very low minimums, right? You're sure. talking about $100 or sometimes $50 minimum investment. So, I can go on there at 10 o'clock at night and make a decision on the spot, and by the next morning, maybe I'd change my mind. But for a few hundred bucks, like, why not, right? Mm -hmm. But if the product sucks and I can't figure it out at 10 o'clock at night, by the next morning, I might not be in anymore, right? right? Or uh, life gets in the way, you go to work, you know? <laughs> like, so it's, um, the, the technology is really important too, so it's, it's, it's an important thing to vet, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, so it's picking the, okay, so this actually leads into my next question because, um, and we start, I was going to ask you about this a little bit earlier, but it has to do with what, what are some of the characteristics of a successful equity crowdfunded company? Is it more than just getting funded? Yeah, so it's um, absolutely. So like, I, I, people all the time uh, come to me and ask me like, hey, I've got this kind of company. I've got that kind of company. And I usually sort of hit the brakes on the conversation and say there's a really easy test to see if you like really fit into it. There's exceptions to this rule all over the place. But the first easy question to figure out if your company is a good fit for crowdfunding is really could you create a Facebook ad for your product and sell that product on the internet right now? And if the answer is yes, then you're probably a good candidate for crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's mostly just because if not, selling to a consumer will be really hard. Try to explain, that's why real estate crowdfunding is done so well. It's really easy for my mom, who's not an investor or sophisticated, she's a Hebrew school teacher. You know, she's not gonna be as sophisticated as, as the listeners, right? Uh, but she can easily understand, I can buy a piece of that building I drink Starbucks in every morning on the way to school. I'm in. That's an easy, easy thing to explain. So now try to explain some of these more obscure business opportunities that we come across every day, right? And that professional investors invest in. Um, it's probably why professional investors get, you know, are able to make money on them because they're harder to explain and really they have to look at the financials and dig in. So, you know, you have to really, um, you, you just have to be realistic with yourself and know Aside from the financial part, is this an easy business to explain? And can I explain uh, in a simple way how these people are going to make money or how it's going to help them selfishly? That's why some of these sites like Republic and WeFunder on the Reg CF deals will allow them, will allow the deals 
to sell you something and give you equity at the same time. So like one company that I contributed to on WeFunder uh, sold me a service, like two years of their service, and I got equity in their company. Mm-hmm. So I gave them 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was easy for, well, I might have done it anyway because I understood and I'd seen this company present before at an event in the past. But because I was a nerd and I was into the product they were selling, I bought it. Um, and, and to me, it was like, there's no downside to this. I not only get that product I was about to pay 20 bucks a month for, whatever it was, uh, you know, but now I also own a tiny piece of the company, so why not? So it really comes down to messaging because, I mean, you know, I, I, think, of like, I think of like a healthcare company, yeah. you know, and they're, they're trying to raise money maybe for their preclinical trial or shoot, maybe even their clinical trial. You don't, yeah. you know, you never know. You know, but if like I was running the company, I'd be like, okay, let's try and appeal to that segment of the audience that may be affected by the initial indication that we're going off of. And yet you don't really see too many healthcare reggae plus deals out there at all. I mean, there was one that was recently done, but I believe that was MedTech, you know, so, you know, how do you explain that to maybe to, to companies in areas where, you know, it wouldn't be a great fit yet? You know, or are there people working on trying to develop the type of messaging so it would be a fit? Yeah, so it's it's knowing how to sell something, tell a story, right? It's absolutely you're absolutely right where it is the messaging, right? Um, with something like like clinical research, something like that, it's actually I think a good and underserved area. So you're right that there hasn't been much yet. When I was doing invested in, we had a client who came to me and showed me so much research. Uh, about their company that we actually became advisors and owned a piece of it and then it, it ended up not panning out. But he had a company that helped universities and various um, research groups. They funded their research to get a piece of the royalties of the drugs they may or may not eventually develop. And then the investors on the site were going to own a piece of it. And it was I was skeptical at the beginning because I was like, how do you tell that story? Okay, Alzheimer's research. I understand that. My grandmother had Alzheimer's. I might be into that because I understand it better than most. So I was like, okay, that makes sense from a story perspective. But then they also said, what you, they told me at the time, they said, what you don't understand is that not only can we tell those kind of stories and get investors in here and fund this university research or fund research at different places, but what we can also do is go out to the medical community who loves this kind of stuff and doctors at the time, and who knows with all the recent, um, with all the recent news, but doctors at the time were the, uh, the biggest, uh, the single biggest group of accredited investors in the world. If you can, if you just look by occupation, right. and so they went, so so they they and they weren't going after just unaccredited investors. They were going a little more sophisticated, and they thought maybe in the future we'd go for for the um, for the unaccredited investors. It wasn't legal at the time either, but but they looked at that and they went like, this is a perfect story we can sell to doctors. They have money, they understand the medical side of it, and they see patients every day with these various conditions, and they could they could spread their money out. They could go, oh, uh, University of Cambridge is doing this kind of cancer research, and uh, in Boston, they're doing this, and in LA, they're doing this, and in uh, you know Singapore, they're doing this one. I'll invest 10K in each of those cancer research things, and mm-hmm. as we all know, you know, like the Amgens of the world and those companies, eventually, if they do hit something, it, it, they hit big, mm-hmm. right? And they make a lot of money. 
And it resonated to me at the time because I was going to a university um, not long before that, and we were talking about this off the air, but I was going to this university that's right by where Amgen's headquarters mm. were. I went on a tour. I had a teacher that taught a class that was called Drug Discovery and Development. So it was like half science, half business. And he took us on a little field trip of, of Amgen, and he said, what you guys don't know is that that tiny little uh, building at Amgen, because it's a huge campus with mm -hmm. giant, giant buildings with all sorts of stuff going on, but there was this one smaller building in the corner. He said, that building makes more money per square foot than any building in the world. And he's like, that's where we discovered this drug, and it's still manufactured there to this day, and he was explaining whatever. And that resonated with me when I was like, you know what, this is like one of those, this is probably the, the closest thing to the startup world, where like everybody talks about nine out of 10 deals failing, but the one out of 10 pays back the fund. Uh, this is like, in, in the medical world, especially when you're at the research level, hundreds or thousands of, of potential deals before one hits it, but when they hit, they have to make up the rest of it. Right. So that's why everything's so expensive, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it, it was exciting to me, and I think that that's, you know, those types of things get, get exciting. Right. The moral of the story is that, you know... <laughs> <laughs> that, that I talk too much. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no the, the, the moral being is that uh, it's, it's about getting that message out there so that it resonates with people like Alain. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> what you asked. <laughs> so, actually, but, but on that point, you know, when we're talking about building crowds and, uh, and, and doing the, the Alain Guerin test, you know, so to speak, um, you know, let... Let's say you did the Elon test, yeah. right? And you see that people, you do your little Facebook test. I hope somebody puts this on Urban Dictionary or something. The Elon Buran test. test. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, it's funny. I just did a case study last night in my econ class. And um, he, we were doing, in the case study, he called one of his tests. It was named after him oh. because, <laughs> because he worked on the, yeah, <laughs> on, awesome. the on the deal. But, uh, but, you know, I have no problem. It's the Alain Guerin test. All right. So, so let's say they do that and they see that, okay, there's some traction. People will go and buy this good, yeah. you know, and okay, now they're a good candidate. Yeah. You know, what then? You know, how do you go out and then leverage that information and build the crowd so that, you know, you could potentially have a, a successful equity crowdfunding raise? Yeah, so there's... Uh... There's well, what's cool with Reggae Plus is that you can actually do test the waters campaigns, and you can put out there we're thinking about doing this. Here's what we're thinking about. Are you interested? Mm -hmm. um, the problem with that is that everyone's interested, but then getting them to actually write a check is much harder. So um, there was a company out of Santa Barbara that had like seven or eight million dollars of indicated interest from their current customers, not including any of the rest of the world. And so they did a campaign and they struggled to raise a few hundred thousand dollars um, because it's really easy for anyone to say, absolutely, I'm interested in this, but then get them to put their money where their mouth is. But really, it's, it's, it's marketing, right? It's the Internet. It's, there is a lot of the old-fashioned way that still has to go on to stack the deck. So what I would do personally is I would go out there and I would go to my loyal friends and family and investors and people that I know offline and I would get them to stack the deck with me. I'd say, I'm going to do this campaign. How much are you in for? Mm -hmm. And you can say no, that I'm not in, in it. But if you are, I'm holding you to it. How much are you in for? And start circling the wagons, right? Just like you do for an offline uh, uh, raise. And you get it to the point where you have a certain amount of uh, already closed you know, um, investors. And then you bring it online. And you stack the deck. Because mm -hmm. now, also, we're talking about media. We're talking about how, you know, 
some of these campaigns make it look easy. They did this, right? And so when a campaign says, I want to raise a million dollars or I want to raise seven million dollars and they have the first 30% in the bank the first day or the second day, that's when you then send the, the marketing messages to all of the blogs, all of the news, all of the uh, media. Um, because when you send them it on the first day and it's a zero out of seven million dollars raised, that's not interesting. Nobody wants to write that story. Nobody wants to hear that story. So you, you stack the deck and you create a, a real marketing campaign and you have a strategy and you execute on that strategy just like your company goes out to sell a product. Like I use this analogy all the time, which is, you know, it's really easy to understand is that you would never uh, go to Main Street in your town, decide I'm going to open up a clothing store, uh, fill it with a million dollars worth of inventory, uh, put an open sign in the window, open the door and be confused why nobody showed up. Mm-hmm. You'd be doing marketing, you'd be telling everyone about it, you'd be putting out flyers, you'd be going on the radio, uh, buying a TV ad, whatever it takes, you would be doing, right? So that's what you have to do here. Um, you have to understand who your target audience is in advance. You have to just do your homework. I was gonna yeah. say, like, it, it seems like, is the spend a lot more right now, would you say, on those marketing dollars? Just because, I mean, yeah. equity crowdfunding, it's still very nascent. You know, yeah. we're, we're very much in its infancy. So, you know, even if you're trying to raise five to seven million, you know, it, that, that, co- that marketing cost is still gonna be quite high, right? I mean, yeah, as it I mean, exists right now? So, the, I, there's two ways to look at it. I've, I actually have seen so many people use the excuse on their campaigns or as an industry as a whole that the marketing dollars spent or, or the cost of marketing is so high that's why we're in our infancy or that's why I couldn't raise my money because marketing is so expensive. But when you see the most successful campaigns, they didn't spend that much money on marketing. We see uh, the, the biggest, you know, you see the, the companies of the world that have become billion dollar companies. And even if you look at the, from the technology side and the cool kids club of the Ubers of the world and the Snapchats of the world, they didn't spend a ton of money on marketing at the beginning. What they did was they spent their time wisely and they put together the right message. Mm-hmm. And people kind of think that, you know, they can slack on everything else, but don't worry, I'll throw money at this problem. I'll just spend a uh, million dollars in Facebook ads and it'll pay for itself by bringing in investors. But if your message sucks and the video you put, or you don't know how to write a Facebook ad correctly, you could waste your money. You know, I've, I've looked into, uh, you know, people's campaigns. And so I'm from the nerdy side of things and I drill down into the analytics and everything. I'll look at somebody's, um, you know, I'll look at somebody's Facebook campaign and, and they'll, they'll have spent $100 a click to get somebody to their website. That means that, you know, if somebody, if you're spending 100 bucks to get somebody on your website, one, you're 99.9% of the time doing it wrong, or you made the ad so specific that that person is 90% likely to buy something, right? Mm. Because paying 100 bucks for a customer that's gonna have a lifetime value of $101 is worth it. Right. Uh, well, you know, potentially worth it, yes. uh, right? So, but when you're selling, uh, uh, you know, a security, it's totally different, right? You, and depending on the industry, the industry standard might be 5% or uh, in real estate, it could be a little higher or in certain worlds, it could be lower or in some industries, there's no sort of precedence of paying mm-hmm. to raise money. So, so you, you just have to really understand what, what the cost is and what it is. And it's more about 
getting back to the actual question, <laughs> which is the marketing, right, is it's, it can get really expensive really fast too. Um, but is putting out a TV ad important? Will that move the needle? There's a lot of testing that's got to go on and there's a lot of moving quickly that's got to go on and really understanding where the money is going. Mm -hmm. You can do it for almost nothing, but it takes a lot of work. And you could spend a lot of money and get nowhere if you do it wrong. So there's, there's the, a whole spectrum of, of possibilities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like use CrowdInvest Summit as an example. Um, we, we built a company. We're not raising money, but just talking about it as a campaign. We brought 1,500 people to talk about crowdfunding at the LA Convention Center last year. We didn't spend a cent on marketing. Um, does that mean that we didn't do marketing? No, we worked our asses off. I, I did every podcast and every radio show and every TV show that I could get on. We automated Twitter and Facebook marketing all day long using Crowdster, uh, my partner Joseph's product. We, we did everything we could to, to do that. And do those things cost money? Yeah, maybe some service fees for different products, a couple hundred bucks a month here or there. But we never spent money on advertising. We did like one test campaign way too early and we, dis we, we scrapped it because we didn't have the time to, to really analyze it and focus on it. This year we're experimenting with it a little more because it's kind of fun to you know, hit certain people and see if it converts. Sure. But it, for us it's more of an experiment and a fun thing because we're nerds, not because it, it makes sense. But you kind of have to understand, and if you don't understand that world, you should bring a marketing person on the team that does. Because chances are, if you are selling something on the internet, you need that marketing person on your team anyway to have a viable, strong business in 2017. Right. But, but yeah, it's, it does, it can, long story, the, the TLDR <laughs> version is that um, is it's such a spectrum thing, and it could be so expensive and not convert, and it can be cheap or f just time for the team and it can do really well. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about recent news because uh, as I said a little bit earlier, one of the main reasons I want to bring you on is that there's been some uh, recent uh, successful raises for uh, equity, equity crowdfunding campaigns. You know, so, um, and, and now these, are, these deals are trading on exchanges, you know, and they all used uh, registered broker dealers as underwriters. You know, so what's, what's your take on all this recent news and these recent, uh, campaign closings. So I, I love to hear that any new deal closed and because I was I was honestly getting worried when there was the uh, Elios of the world By the way, years are you, later. Are you, are you a shareholder? I'm not a shareholder in Elio. I, I know shareholders and I know people involved, but really I've got no no dog in the fight at all. Uh, but the my um my uh my thing is that we were using that as this great success story. And whether or not in the end it's, it's a successful deal or not, it probably depends on when you got in, when you got out, if you're in, whatever. But that's, you know, that's just the roller coaster of, of investing in anything. But that was the one big success story of at least a deal closed and going on in exchange. And that was really important and really great for our industry. But two years, three years goes by and it got a little scary for me at least being, you know, basically betting on this industry so much myself. Um, so seeing these deals close, really exciting. Um, uh, you know, Myomo and those other companies that got listed on New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ, that's really cool. Um, and so that that's awesome from that perspective. But the fact that they used registered broker dealers means that they didn't really do it the crowdfunding way. Um, they did it, I mean, they used, in my opinion, what they did is they used the new regulations to find a cheaper way to go public, which is awesome. And the more people that do that, the more visibility it gives our industry and, and the, the better it is. So I'm really excited about it. Um, I, 
I was surprised by it because I'm not in the day-to-day -day of you know those types of deals. Um, I you know like to play more on like I've said like the tech startup side and the consumer side of things. So so I didn't even know those deals were happening until they were practically closed, and I was excited. But it wasn't that big marketing woohoo like exciting thing that that we hope this industry is going to have with some of these deals. Um, but but that said, it's it's really cool. Um, I think that it's 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 great for for your guy for your world right for these micro cap and small cap companies and companies that want to go public and know it's significantly cheaper nowadays to do it. Um, so that's that's really exciting and that just and they're folding in more investors into the mix and those guys a lot of them will be at our conference and we'll be talking about it and we'll use the best parts of those to help the private companies that want to go public and do it in different ways uh, go public. So it's it's cool. Yeah, so, I like it. So what's, you you brought up something interesting. How it's like not really crowdfunding. So what yeah. what did you mean by that? And be, and the reason being you said is because they use registered broker dealers. So what 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 did you mean by well, that? I, so I'm not. I, I won't claim to know everything about those specific deals. But from my um, from my knowledge of, of at least one of them, it was done the old-fashioned way, right? Like the bankers went out there, they had relationships, they raised money in different ways, whether that means they picked up the phones and they made calls or they reached out to their uh, you know, armies of, of other broker-dealers or RIAs or investment advisors and they raised the money. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't crowdfunding in the way that I'm thinking you go on Start Engine, you do a marketing campaign and you bring the mainstream American public audience that doesn't know any, uh, that, that isn't already involved in this stuff and bring them in. Mm -hmm. So, and, and you're not, you're not um, using the crowd to help build that crowd. You're not going, we have 3,000 investors. Those are now advocates for my company. They're now people that are out there wanting to, uh, wanting to support my company and help me with the marketing for my company. And Because I think if done right, um, lots of people like to their their biggest jab at crowdfunding is like, oh man, could you imagine being a part of a company that has that big of a cap table? Oh my God, that must be a nightmare to manage and the, and all that stuff, which is true on one end, but who doesn't want to be a part of a company that has a thousand shareholders that are incentivized for that company to do well and that are deputized to share that company, promote that company, and help build that company? That's that that'd be the that'd be the greatest thing in the world for right. the company, right? It could be on one side a big pain in the butt to have to deal with certain shareholders and do things. So you'll have to set up some processes of dealing with with that crowd. But I, I think that that is mostly, especially in in you know, mostly a made up problem. Mm -hmm. It's it's pretty much the same as dealing with customers. And when you sell a customer something for a thousand dollars, you have to answer to that customer. And right. same same as as an investor. And right. yes, it's easier to deal with one investor, but one investor adds the value of one investor, mm -hmm. right? So it, there's there's different ways to look at it, but I think that that's that's why I say it might not have been done the old fashioned it might not have been done like real crowdfunding and more the old fashioned way. But the lines are getting more and more blurred, and I, I've talked about this before. Um, so the people that follow me, I'm I'm sorry for bringing up the same thing I've brought up a few times in the last few months, but I don't really think of crowdfunding as a new industry. So like if you look at my old decks for invested in and then I launch a product called invest to help hedge funds and, and real estate funds raise money online. If you look at that deck, I talk about how alternative investing in the United States and these are old numbers. So I don't know if they're exactly specific, somewhere around a, tr a seven trillion dollar a year industry. Mm -hmm. um, now it's 2017. Everything is happening more and more and more and more and more online. Mm -hmm. 
So when does it go from being called crowdfunding or online investing to just investing? Because do you, you, you know, people log into their Schwab accounts to buy stocks or to deal with their retirement funds. Um, is that called you know, e-trading or online investing or is that just using Schwab as your broker? So, so when at a certain point, that's, that's why it's exciting that these deals are happening regardless if they're happening online. It's just everything is now technology and everything is happening online and the internet is, is happening. And I think that's the exciting part. I, and, and to take that a step further, I feel like the real bridge yeah. to that, to where you know, the online invest, you know, crowdfunding becomes online investing, online investing just becomes investing, yeah. is education. You know, it's, it, it's really the main thing, I, I think. I mean, yeah. you know, do that, I mean, that's part of the reason I started this podcast was because I realized that there was this education gap, you know, where you shouldn't be scared to look at different investment vehicles and different ways in which to build wealth ra rather than just getting a nine to five and collecting a paycheck, which is fine. But, you know, you can put some of that money to work in various different things. And one of those things yeah. is, is, crowd is equity crowdfunding and yeah. hence why you're you know i'm, I'm speaking yeah. with you today um another thing that's actually brand new that i wanted to talk with you about as well because i just saw it on your website for the conference <laughs> as a topic for one of the panels and that has to do with this idea of initial coin offering or ico yeah. what is this <laughs> so, so it's 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 funny because like a month ago it was full on everybody talking about it as this weird, semi-illegal, weird. Uh, oh, it's weird. Uh, it's it's oh, definitely weird. <laughs> regardless of if you think it's super illegal or shady or not. Okay. But what's what's really interesting about it is that there were sort of two sides to it. There were these people that were like, "These aren't securities. Let's go nuts before they start regulating this and start selling these online." This is a get-rich-quick scheme, mm -hmm. and uh, it's basically. Uh, so to take a step back, it's basically using blockchain technology and Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, Ethereum is sort of like the next iteration version of of Bitcoin in in some ways. It's it makes it easier for you to do smart contracts online. Um, and it's also a digital currency like, like Bitcoin is. And people were using this to create these things called ICOs, initial coin offerings, which is basically an IPO, but using technology. Um, uh, and using different, coin, yeah, using coins, and they called them tokens at first, and now they're calling coins and uh, DAOs and these different things, whatever the terminology is, they're basically doing an IPO online, right? They're selling, they're selling tokens, which are analogous to a portion of a company that they're trading to uh, publicly to, based on what they believe the value of the company is, right? Or the future value of the company. Now it's a, that's just a stock, right? So if they've created these, they've tokenized companies and there's people that are bigger experts about the really specific nitty gritties than I am, but that, that's what they did. And there were two sides to it. There were these people that were like, let's do this. I'm going to set up a company in Panama and we're going to do this outside the U.S. so that we don't get in trouble in the U.S. And it just instantly sounded shady, right? And then there's other side of it um, where it was like, we're going to call this a security and we're going to do this online. And yes, today it's, it's, uh, it, we can't take money unless it's an accredited investor in the United States, but we can raise money online. And in the rest of the world, we can take anybody's money. And so they would do these offerings and 90% of the money is actually coming, more than 90% is coming from other places, other countries. Um, and then some of it's coming from investors in the United States. 
and different people did it differently. I think that like one company, their biggest criticism from their investors that they took the money and they considered it revenue to their company and they paid taxes on it because they were terrified of going to jail one day. Um, another company that I'm familiar with, um, they actually straight up called it a security. They wouldn't allow taking money from anybody in the United States unless they were a credit investor. And they raised $10 million in 15 minutes. Wow. But I mean, that, that takes years of marketing and building a name for yourself in the space. But they basically, so I'll say the name because it's all public information, it's Blockchain Capital. And Brock Pierce, um, who started Blockchain Capital, is, spe is speaking at the conference. I'm not a shareholder, full disclosure. Um, that, uh, I just know they're speaking at the conference. And I know that within a couple weeks, maybe even within a week of them doing that $10 million raise, um, people on, on, in, on these sort of exchanges online were already trading uh, their coins or their tokens in blockchain capital uh, on, on a third-party marketplace. Um, so they were basically one of the first ever, if not the first ever, liquid VC fund. They're like a venture capital fund that invests in deals that are blockchain-related deals. So they've had multiple funds. This is their third fund, I think, or fourth fund. And so that, that's pretty cool when you look at it from that perspective. Sure. Um, this week, actually, the SEC came out with, um, I don't know if it's like specific rulings, but they came out with like an opinion that uh, basically said that um, for the most part, most of the time, tokens or ICOs are considered a security. Um, and so now everyone at least knows which regulatory body they're dealing with because people weren't sure, am I dealing with the SEC? Am I dealing, is this a product? Who am I dealing, what, am I, is this revenue? Is this a security? What is it? So now they know what at least the government or the SEC thinks about it. So now in the United States, I think it went from, hey, uh, game on, but it might be super illegal and weird to game on, we could do this legitimately. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super exciting because it now goes now we can get rid of all of the old school processes that made IPOs inefficient. Mm -hmm. We use technology, we use smart contracts, and we can actually have people invest directly into an IPO like instantly mm -hmm. and not have to go through brokerages. And sort of the uh, punk rocker in me that helped, wanted to start invested in at the beginning to disintermediate the banks because mm -hmm. I, you know, the idealistic kid in me was like, let's just let people go directly to each other. If I'm starting a company, I want to go to my neighbor and take their money without having to call a lawyer or call a banker or call a something. Right. That's, it was unrealistic to completely think I could cut everybody in the world out of everything sure. uh, because that would just create tons of fraud and, and instability. But at the end of the day, why do you have to go through a Goldman to, to go public or through some large bank? It doesn't make sense if you have consumers that are willing to pay for something. Mm -hmm. So that's the idea is the consumers can come in and actually set the price by showing a demand and by doing it themselves. Interesting. It and creates, it's way more efficient, but it's also uh, not really, nobody knows what it really means yet. Mm -hmm. So as time goes by, it'll either get exciting or it'll die off. But I, I hope that a version of it becomes reality because it should be more efficient. Mm -hmm. I mean, things, why, 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 should, um, it, why should exchanges only be open certain hours of the day? Why? What's the point of the opening and closing bell, right? Like, why? That's, it's a thing of the past. Like, we're a global, supposed to be a global economy, right? Where anyone around the world is investing in anything around the world, you know, with exceptions. But, you know, there's, that's what the idealistic, like, what we want it to be, right? So, so basically, it's <laughs> like, it's kind of, I mean, I can think of one uh, uh, 
service provider specifically that it kind of puts out of business, like the stock transfer uh, business, basically. I mean, I mean, is it, do they then have to convert to uh, offering a new type of service to make sure that ICOs can happen? Or is this literally, you know, just like with Bitcoin is you're selling a Bitcoin to somebody at a price that they're willing to pay and you're buying it at a price that they're willing to sell. I mean, is it pretty much like that or how? I think there's somewhere in the middle, but like, I think that I don't think you're putting um, stock transfer out of business, maybe in this particular in use this, case. case. But but I think that there's general so, yeah, there's, yeah. there's, uh, there's other things that a, a good stock transfer company does, right? So I spent a lot of time with ComputerShare, one of the sponsors of the conference. So full disclosure, sponsor the conference. So I love them. Um, <laughs> but no, but but I love them anyway. Um, and so when I when I've spent time with them and I've looked at their technology and I look what they do they set themselves apart from other stock transfer companies because they have this technology, because they make um, shareholder management so much easier than other companies, and they have all of these other tools to help you manage it. Just because the transfer part is easy and simple doesn't mean you don't have to then distribute all sorts of things to all your shareholders right. and do all sorts of other things. There might be technology companies that take those spaces, but the best stock transfer companies usually acquire the best technology to help them, right? right. And whether they buy it, or they acquire the actual company, um, or it's like a service that they use for their customers. So there's, I think that there's so many other things involved that there's always going to be an industry around it, and it just has to evolve with modern day. You know, right? right? I mean, uh, go back to retail. Think about how much that changes, but the retail market in general and how many people are employed by it are still probably more than ever. Right. I, I um, just uh, there was a uh, a podcast episode. I forgot what it was for. Um, uh, where I heard the CEO of Maserich, one of like the top five owners of real estate, um, like like mall real estate, like they own and manage malls, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, actually is looking at all the technology and looking at what's going on and saying that they've never had a problem with, with you know, I, I'm oversimplifying it, but they, they're not having a problem with, with retailers. They're evolving their space and technology is actually helping them do more. Mm -hmm. And they're having more lifestyle businesses and individual brands in their malls versus these big giant department stores. Right. But because of technology and because of everything and because of things like Uber and Lyft and autonomous cars, they're actually going to make their real estate more valuable because of technology and employ more people because of technology than it's actually, than is the, the you know, opposite. Mm -hmm. So although it sounds and scary and, and, and stuff, but I think that it's actually creating efficiencies, but also creating brand new industries. Mm -hmm. So what, what kind of investors are buying into these equity crowdfunded deals? You know, are they public company investors with the new strategy to add private companies to their portfolios, you know, talk to me. So uh, it's it's sort of a, this mix, right? It's uh, when you're talking about crowdfunding, like we said, there's a wide spectrum, but there's the the investors or the um, the retail audience of the co of the company itself, right? Um, a company that I'm not invested in. Um, <laughs> full disclosure again, that uh, I'm not invested. It came to uh, the expo floor on CrowdInvest Summit last year called Distilled. They're a jeans company. They literally make like high-end looking jeans, but they sell them at a, at a more reasonable price. Um, and they do all sorts of other clothing, I think, as well now. They came and they did a Reg CF offering. And I think that they publicly announced recently that they're doing a Reg A plus offering um, as the next thing. And I think that a lot of their customers are, are their audience, right? So there's that. 
Then there's um, the angel investors and those people that are used to writing 25, 50K checks to companies whose companies are graduating and growing up or just publicly fundraising, right? They're just telling people and posting about it online, which helps them raise money faster or from the right people better. Um, so there's that. And then there is the reggae plus side. So there's the ones that are going through the brokers like we talked about. Um, so it's pretty much those similar to the, you know, your readers, right, that are investing in small cap and, and companies. Um, and, uh, and then there's the, the reggae plus sort of mainstream, right, where similar to what I just said with Distilled, where we're going on the internet, we're creating a new car, we're Elio Motors, where you could buy our car on our website, or you can go on Start Engine and invest in the company. You should do both. If you're going to buy our car and you trust us, why don't you invest also, right? Um, so, so there's that. So there, it's, it's a wide spectrum again, but there's everyone's playing. I think the, the thing that everyone underestimated is the sort of um, bigger check writers playing in this world. And what they um, overestimated was the consumer audience right. playing in this world. And, and what people still do to like this they day, haven't been as quick to... they haven't been as quick to adopt it. And what people, um, I think, thought would happen, which... Um, is, is silly to think if you look at it in hindsight, and a lot of the platforms still think this way, and, it, and it's a little bit ridiculous because now they have years to show that it doesn't work this way, is that if I convince my mom to invest in my company and she comes to it, or I convince everyone on my Facebook page to come to my company, now that they understand investing in companies, they're gonna start investing in more. And so when Robert comes on, somebody they don't know, and sells them even a company in the same industry, they're gonna wanna invest, and it doesn't happen. And so that's why the platforms in general um, most of them uh, aren't adding a ton of value in more investors to to the deal. Um, and this happened even before when it was Kickstarter stuff. Like the Kickstarter doesn't add much value to your campaign other than having a great technology product for you to launch on. Um, if you're in a very small percentage of the deals um, that sort of you know, take off, then they do help. They throw, help throw gasoline on the fire. But in general, most crowdfunding campaigns on the, on the um, on the world of the donations and the rewards, I think only 3% uh, of campaigns raise more than $10,000. Mm. So 97% of the campaigns raise less than 10K, mm -hmm. which means you know, it's, it's not that easy, right? And it's not that successful. Right. So I think people thought like, oh man, uh, Start Engine um, had Elio. So I'm gonna launch my product on Start Engine and the second I do it, Start Engine is gonna send an email to their tens of thousands of users. A lot of them invested in Elio. They'll invest in my company too. Um, which is not true. Start Engine does a kick-ass job. They have a great technology product and they do help a lot. But you still have to do 99% of the work. You have to be, if you're not working, it's not going to happen. It's like you have to, you have to kind of realize that they're more of the software providers yeah, in, and they do, not they do so marketing. They right. do marketing and they help. And they help on the front end too. Like they will introduce you to the right accountants. They will introduce you to the right lawyers. They'll have already gone through the ringer so many times that you're, you're not smart if you don't listen to them in terms of the compliance stuff and getting all your books in order. Because mm -hmm. you could use, you know, you still should have your own law firms and everything, mm -hmm. check everything you do. But they know it front to back. They, they have hands down. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we funder and started and all those guys, they know their crap and they, they're great. Um, but you shouldn't expect that because they'll send an email to their audience, because they will. They want to promote the deal. They want to be a part of it. They want to help any way they can. But you have to 
help them help you. Mm -hmm. You have to create these media opportunities. You have to create the buzz and you have to do all that stuff. So what, what is your advice then to investors that are considering an equity crowdfunding investment? What, what should they look out for? Uh, let's say they're on CNBC and they see the ad, you know, like yeah. what, what are some of the, the, the red flags that they should be looking for? And also maybe some of the, the thumbs up stuff. Yeah. I think that the, the red flags you have to look out for is just your normal spidey sense, right? Like you, you know when you talk to somebody that if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Just that instinct of like you, you're being sold, right? Mm -hmm. And, and that, that, that should turn you off and, and, and pay attention to that sense that you have. Um, and then look at the, at the crowd, right? These campaigns are public and you can go on you know, a uh, crowdfund insider, right? And they're a little, they're, they're a blog site and a news site that, that come, that talks about this stuff. If there's any controversy that's found about a company, they'll write about it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you'll, you'll find out that, you know, the guy on the commercial didn't actually work for the company. That was a hired, uh, a hired actor, right? And that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world, but it might be if there's nothing to back up claims, right? Um, but, but they'll know that stuff and they'll do the research on it. And there's a bunch of groups that'll do research on it. There's companies that um, will be at our conference that are helping the crowd do due diligence better. So if you can use products like that or if the platform uses products like that, that's an extra thumbs up. Um, but really, the, the main thing is that these are public deals and thousands of people potentially invest in them. So the good platforms will have a place for the customers or the, or the investors to talk about it. And if there's any kind of controversy, if things aren't working out, you'll find out about it. Mm -hmm. So it's really the same type of deal that you do when you invest offline. You still want to you know, look at the financials, know that the CEO, hopefully they've already prepackaged that stuff so you don't have to send emails and chase them because otherwise they wouldn't be able to handle thousands of investors looking at their deals. So you know, it's, it is a lot of the same stuff, but there are tools to help you with that, a quick Google search of the names of the uh, of the people running the company. If they don't have the names of the people running the company, why not? You should have the the whole, the you know the whole team on, on the on the site, right? So who are they trying to hide? What are they trying to hide? But in general, um, I would look at it from the standpoint that it's sometimes easy for uh, investors to fool one person. It's really hard for them to get away with uh, fooling thousands of people. That said, there's going to yeah the company to fool thousands of people. So so what what I would look at is there's going to be people talking trash probably any step of the way. A lot of these companies self uh, self um, uh, set their uh, valuations. So that's always the biggest argument online. Like you go into these message boards and you hear people going like, are they out of their minds? They're not worth this much money. And it's like, well, if you'll invest in that, they are. And if you don't believe it, then don't invest. And maybe they'll regroup and come back or you're not in, right? You don't believe it. So don't, don't invest. Um, but you'll very easily find claims like um, where somebody might say, we're using this kind of technology or we're using this. And there'll be people online that'll be like, here's four examples of other companies using that technology. It's not special. Mm -hmm. That was a buzzword. And it's like, oh, great. Now, but but you'll you know just like a larger firm, like if you were a, a, a big bank or a VC firm has experts on each subject or or venture partners or or uh, different people doing due diligence for the fund because they're about to invest millions of dollars. You have thousands of people doing due diligence and doing research. So if there's anything bad, you'll find out about it. Right. So what what do you think is the future of equity crowdfunding? Where is this going? 
I, I, like I said before, I think it'll go from equity crowdfunding to online investing to just investing. I think that, like I said, there's, you know, it, it's, I don't know if it'll all meld onto single platforms where you can manage everything on one platform, but at the end of the day, you're going to go online and you're going to, there's already, you know, there's already next gen crowdfunding where you could go on their website, see every single reggae plus deal that's out there or 90% plus of them see them, look at them, categorize them, follow them, check them out in your dashboard mm-hmm. and, uh, and, um, and decide if you're going to invest or not. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be all these consul- There's new chip, a company that does that as well. They actually have an iPhone app where you can swipe left and right on crowdfunding yeah, deals. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds a little bit silly, but why not? Because they're selling products a lot of the time. Right. That's how, yeah. uh, you know, oh, I saw, smart. so, so there's, there's, there is, all this stuff going on and it's going to change and evolve and just like e-trade was revolutionary at the time now there's robin hood and betterment and all these other products that are that let you trade online mm-hmm. it's the online part is not the special part anymore now it's differentiating differentiating your product and it's like robin hood is an app that you can buy and sell stock on your phone really really simply and easy and then there's the sh- and then there's Schwab. You can do the same thing on both, but they're totally different products. One right. is really complicated. One is really simple. Mm-hmm. And as a professional, you might like the really complicated one. And as a consumer, you might like the really simple one, or vice versa. I don't know. So it's now it's differentiating that way, and you create it's a whole new marketplace. So I think that's the future. Is that we're not going to be calling it. Um, one of my biggest arguments with my with my partners at Crowd Invest Summit is should we use the word crowd in this? Because eventually, I, I was thinking, should we just call it the Online Investment Summit, or you know, uh, you make up some new term or something? But but at the end of the day, right now it makes sense, and I think it will continue to make sense. And but but the thing is, it's it's these internal things. It's I don't think that the future, twenty years from now, people are going to be talking about crowdfunding unless they're talking about the evolution of alternative investing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So. We've been alluding to it this entire <laughs> interview. So you are hosting an event in September called the Crowd Invest Summit. Tell me more about it. So our industry has been around for a little while. It invested in, I told you, a launch in 2010 uh, officially, and things were sort of uh, brewing back then, even before then with some companies in Silicon Valley and stuff like that. But really, it's 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 now happening, right? We have a crowdfunding industry. And for years, I would go and sponsor all of the crowdfunding conferences because I was selling product, I was selling a technology product to people who like to go to those conferences. And for years, it was the, um, uh, it was the uh, Doug Elinoffs of the world and the David Weald, um, who you've had on your podcast. And, um, uh, and now, you know, uh, Cromwell Colson, who you've had on your podcast. And all, these, all, all of that world, would come into these conferences, they debate, what should the rules be? How are the rules gonna be? What's going on? And then the rules happened, and it seemed like the conferences stayed the same. It was the accountants and the lawyers and the service providers hanging out. And I no longer had that business while selling a product to a lot of those people, so I would go to them, because they'd ask me to be on a marketing panel or to talk about technology, and I'd be on stage and I'd talk about it, and then I'd go hang out with my friends at the bar, like like Doug Elinoff and Mark Roderick and all of these, these guys, right? And I loved it. Um, it was fun, but there was no reason for anybody raising money and there was no reason for any investor to be at those conferences and they never blew up to more than 300, 400 people. There was one, there's one other one that got to like 500 people, 
but that one also included the rewards-based and the donation-based crowdfunding, and I'm talking about strictly investing, right? Mm -hmm. And there was, and, and so, you know, there was no good conference like that. And so my partner, uh, Joseph Holm, and I actually hung out after one of the conferences, and we kind of uh, kept threatening each other for years. We should do this kind of conference. We should do this kind of conference. And it just felt right uh, a couple years ago. And we, we told each other we're going to do it. We had a meeting a week later. And three days after that, our website was up and we had the bones of our event. We put, um, we, our idea, and, and I know I'm talking way too much, it's gonna be like a seven hour podcast, is that we wanted to bring, uh, we wanted to bring a mainstream audience to this event, right? We wanted to bring the people that will actually invest in the deals to the event. To get the deals, uh, to get the investors to the event, we had to bring the deals to the event, we had to bring other investors. So last year, to bring in the mainstream audience, we actually brought Robert Herjavec from Shark Tank to speak at the event to tell us his strategies for investing in deals, what he looks at, how he uh, does it, and his sort of tips and tricks so that even though we're not investing millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time like he is, that the mainstream audience who wants to invest a thousand dollars at a time um, can learn from him because now they can. And he drew a, a bit of a crowd, but we also go to all of the angel groups around and do deals with them and have partnerships with them and get them to the events. Then we get the biggest venture capitalists. Uh, last year, it was a bunch from California, but we also brought Pritzker Group in and all of these big venture capitalists to also be on a pitch panel that's like Shark Tank style to see actively fundraising companies. We brought these actively fundraising companies to an expo floor where if you wanted to, you could pull out your phone on the spot and invest in these companies right on the spot. And that's not something that startups have ever been able to do. Uh, you can do that if you go to a microcap conference. Sometimes there's enough volume on, on the particular companies. Um, and you could do that with public companies. But there was never a, a spot for you know, a company that was raising a million dollars to showcase to investors who could just pull their phones out on the spot and invest. Right? Mm -hmm. They could go on the start engine on their phone and invest. So that's what we built. And we had over 1,500 people there last year. Um, our numbers have been growing tremendously. And we expect 3,000 people there this year. We have Marcus Lamar. Monis, uh, he's sort of the uh, the mainstream guy we brought. He's the the prophet, yeah. So we, um, he, which is really cool because um, even though Shark Tank, for example, is a, is a bigger show than the prophet is, I love the, pro that show. the prophet has I love broken. That show. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. And so what's really cool is that Marcus is the only guy on that show, and he actually has this is the nerd in us. We did a bunch of analytics and checked uh, out all of the you know potential speakers we were thinking about bringing. We realized he had a more engaged and bigger audience than any of the Shark Tank people. Um, and so uh, we ended up going with him, bringing him. He's a really great guy. We have a guy named James Altucher who's going to be um, in, uh, interviewing him, who's also a really great guy. If you don't know him, follow him. He's got all sorts of interesting insights. And we're, we're bringing, of course, the, the biggest players in, the, in this new industry to be on stage and to talk about it. And we try to shy away. We will, of course, have an accounting panel. We will, of course, have a legal panel because those are essential and you want to watch them and you want to see the lawyers talk about it that you might hire, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we try to shy away from getting into the nitty gritty that you could just Google search. We want to have the experts there. We want to have people there. And we want the benefit of being there is being there. You get to meet the companies that you might invest in. And there's no other place to do that in this world. Mm -hmm. um, and. And so that's, that's the exciting part, is really this, this hands-on feeling to an industry that's all online.
and and that that's what we built and it's it's fun yeah cool. <laughs> so uh where can my audience go and find more information about you and uh maybe sign up to come to the event so crowdinvestsummit.com is the event's website you can sign up uh I don't remember if we did it yet or not, but by the time you hear this, if you use the promo code SNN, you'll get a discount. Is that a good promo code, SNN? I think uh, SNN's good for me. Perfect, all right. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so we'll do SNN uh, is the promo code, you'll get a discount. And um, if you wanna follow me, go to alongoren.com, A-L-O-N-G-O-R-E-N.com, and uh, you could hear me talk way too much about crowdfunding. And, and you're also on Twitter as well. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. It's Alon Gorin. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I gave the website because you could get to everything from there. Sign up to my newsletter. I will annoy you. <laughs> well, Alon, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it and this update on what's going on in equity crowdfunding. And I'm looking forward to coming to the event, uh, which we will have up uh, on our website, actually, uh, probably by this time next week. Awesome, and thank you uh, for, for the listeners who don't know. Um, you guys will be at the conference, we'll be conducting interviews, we'll be on, on the expo floor. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So please come and hang out with us in real life. Thank you, Alon. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and thank you, Alon, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast. Go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap Podcast or on iTunes and search Planet Microcap Podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap Podcast where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of StockNewsNow.com, the official microcap news source, and the Microcap Review Magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.